I V M. This is Storytellers and Storytellers live on tape. You're listening to me, Vineet Kanabar, and this is the IVM Podcast Network. On the show every week, we talk to people from entertainment, right? Whether it's folks who are in front of the screen or folks who are creating for the screen or folks who are putting the business side of things together or the technology side of things together. Every once in a while, we get an episode where we talk to someone who is out and out a creative individual, right? Someone who interprets the world in an interesting way and puts it out in different kinds of content formats, right? Now content is a strange word to use, but but that's what they do. It's, it's someone who's got creative output coming out in different formats. And today we're talking to someone who's exactly like that. In fact, I read an interview of the guy I'm talking to today and he said, I don't think of what I do as a job. It's just art being put out there in the world. And I love people who back themselves to have the ability to interpret the world creatively for us around them. Um, I'm talking to Uzair Merchant today. Now, uh, let me quickly introduce Uzair before I bring him in. Uzair, I mean, I'll find out by talking to him how much this is true, but Uzair is the first Indian Hollywood production designer, like the first Indian guy to be a Hollywood production designer. Is, is, is Am I saying that right? Pretty much, yeah. That's, that's amazing, right? But not just that, Uzair is also a filmmaker. He's also creating different art in different forms. But the reason why that triggered having Uzair on the show today was I someone reached out to me and said, hey, there's this guy who's making an NFT music video. And I was like, I've got to have this guy on the show to tell us about that. So with that mouthful of an intro, Uzair Merchant, welcome to Storytellers and Storytellers. So glad to have you on here, bro. And excited about the stuff we'll talk about. Yeah, thanks for having me, Vinny. This is great. Uh, thanks for putting this together. I'm really, really glad to be on this show for more than many reasons. One, I've uh, also checked out what you guys do, which is awesome. So congratulations. Thank you. More than 100 episodes, right? More than 100 yep. episodes, right? Absolutely. That's pretty cool. So uh, I'm really happy on the other side because um, what I've done over my career currently, which I still think is you know just getting started, is kind of build creative bridges. And that's kind of been the entirety of what I do, why I do, how I do, is building creative bridges. I think there's no other way for humanity to function because whether we like it or not, we're always doing it. Yeah. Um, You asking me the question of uh, one of the first Indian production designers. Yeah. The reason... um, we would put out as not the first and one of the first because, you know, living or dead, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But from the records that we have, and I even spoke to the guild in the States. I actually reached mm-hmm. out to them saying, hey, this is my name. This is, you know, what we're trying to do. And, you know, I've been told this. Is this true? And so they, you know, dug up their own research guides as well. And they really didn't come up with anything concrete. That's insane. And it's, it's yeah, so cool that you actually went to the extent of verifying before putting it out. I love it, man. Well, yeah, because like I said, building creative bridges means, you know, we got to do, the intention is you got to do it with an honorable mind. It's not, I don't care about what I am physically trying to do myself because, you know, as artists, we do what we do. You can't please everybody. It's impossible. But at least when you do something out there, there's a certain integrity that you want to do it with, right? So I'm like, okay, we're going to, if we're going to push this creative bridge, let's do it the right way. So I'm like, hey, can you guys do your research? Because we haven't come up with anything and we've done our checks and no one's come up with anything. So I just want to make sure. And they were like, yeah, you wouldn't be wrong to say that. And we're like, oh, wow. Because, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to do what we do holding. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. I have an Indian passport still. 
But when you have that, it's not easy to do what we do on this side of the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it would make a difference with another passport or not. It doesn't make a difference. What I'm saying is to join the business on this side, there's certain levels you go through, the union and et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. which usually means by the time you do that to get to where you get to, you don't have your original nationality. You hold nothing of where you originally, you know, besides the values that you keep. And so that's why I think that journey is so hard to actually make that, you know. And the funny thing is, me doing that happened as well on a film that was called The Misfits, which is the first ever Hollywood film to be shot in Abu Dhabi. So right. it was the first full ever, you know, kind of production. So a few things happen with small projects sometimes, which, you know, can be a little booster, which is cool. I love it. I mean, so pertinent that you say, that you talked about the difficulty of doing what we do there in, in a foreign land and in the context of building bridges, right? I mean, if you build enough bridges, chances are you now belong to another place or you surround yourself with with folks who are from another place. Let's, let's get talking about that um, at the top of this episode, which is how did that happen? How did you get to be part of such great projects and some of the films that you've done been part of uh, the Skyfall, there's the Misfits, a bunch of others, there's a whole list, there's an IMDb page I, I went through for a bit as well. And it's super impressive, man. Um, and Thank you. It's su- super impressive in part, of course, because of the level of skill that you must be at for to be part of such massive productions, but also in part of, in part down to what you said, right? It's so rare, it's almost impossible to break through in this space. And, but here we are. How did that come about? What was that like when it happened? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot a little bit on your question, but I'm going to answer your question. But to understand the answer to the question is a very important thing you have to ask yourself, really, right? And I do this with a lot of people and they're usually like, what? But you understand why. In this life, the, what we're living currently, you need to understand that we're spiritual beings having a human experience not human beings having a spiritual experience. If you begin the conversation on that line, now everything forward will now make sense. Okay. The reason is most people set out with certain intention Mm -hmm. and that's the true cause of everything. So being Muslim, that's the cool root of how Islam functions. Mm -hmm. However, me being an artist had nothing to do with that because I was born a martial artist. I've I've trained martial arts my entire life since I was three. And I competed internationally my entire life. I still train. And I think that I owe a lot, a lot of credit to because when you've kind of adopted a certain martial art mindset, you have to go into a dojo every day knowing you're going as a student. That's it. Doesn't matter age. Doesn't matter what. Right. And if you continue to kind of live like that, therefore, you can now build certain creative bridges with those intentions. Therefore, now I'm going to answer your question. Why? It's because when you set out with the intention of, I'm only here to make money, you're only going to build those bridges. Usually, they burn. Right. Because money. As soon as nobody's money. Yeah. As soon as nobody's making money, those bridges are. Yep. Okay. So why the intention is important is that I started working professionally when I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. I've been working ever since. So I've done things from, I was VR game testing in Dubai in the 90s when I was nine years old. There was newspaper articles about it, right? Right. So I was in that space long before people realized, you know, that space. Mm -hmm. And so I was coding at 13 and then got into music, DJing through high school, which then led to photography. 
my dad, bless his soul, he passed away last year. He was an you know, interior designer. And so I grew up in a workshop. So I had that side. My mom is in the entertainment business in Dubai with um, you know, something called Global Village. And so I grew up in that space. So I saw both sides, but I never wanted either world. And, you know, I would go this side and that side and be like, no, too commercial for me. I don't like it. And at like eight years old, I remember telling them, I'm not going to do what you do. But when I was in Dubai at that point, that's all you could see was architecture, interior. These are the only kind of things around you, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was always trying to break out and do different stuff. And I was like, okay, you know what? Got to do something different. So I ended up going to the UK for university. The deal I had with my parents was I would pay for my expenses there. So I was working four jobs through university, right. figuring out what am I going to do in this space? But I know for sure it's not going to be that. I come across design for film and TV, which is production design. And instantly it was like, oh, this is what I was born to do. This is literally what I was you know, built to do. I'd be able, you know, I'm able to live in these multiple worlds at the same time and you know, be able to design it. But funny enough, the minute I got on that path, I'm talking I was 18 at that mm-hmm. point. I knew at that point that I'm going to build a career based on art. When I mean art, I mean what I define my surroundings of art. Mm -hmm. Why? Because each person has their own interpretation of art. And so I ended up joining this course, Design for Film and TV. Remember, I was the only Indian person in about two and a half thousand people in two, three years. Oh, wow. Only, right? So I've always been that person. I've always been the only brown person around. And um, funny enough, I ended up wrapping that course and I give a lot of credit to my professors there who mm-hmm. we still speak back and forth as of even last week. I, you know, I sent across some stuff to one of my, my, my professors. And I remember it was one of the summers my professor came to me. And he's like, Uzi, you keep talking about film, mm-hmm. but are you going to make any? And I'm like, yeah, I really want to. I have no idea. But, you know, this is a design course. So here we are designing everything of film. And then I remember that spring, he comes to me with a camera, rented out on his name, which is just a Panasonic Handycam. And he goes, it's 3,000 pounds. Don't break it. Go make your film. Wow. I was like, oh, here we go. And so that was my first short film I set out to make. And at that point, and this is what I'll tell you about intention. This will un- make you understand a lot about my thinking process. Mm-hmm. So my first short film, I decided I'm going to make a trilogy over 16 years of three films of five minutes each, all asking the question of life in my own way. So it's called the Lines Trilogy. The first film I made in, in Nottingham was called In Between Lines, mm-hmm. which was about comparing roads to people. And so we went to you know, a few festivals in the UK and uh, I won a couple of small ones that time. And I was like, oh, this is something I can, I can push. Right. Fast forward, I go back and continue doing what I'm doing with design and all of that, right? I moved to Vancouver a few years ago mm-hmm. and I finished working on Deadpool. And, and then I went out going, oh, this, it's time seven years in. And so picked up my iPhone SE, which was this crappy iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. Two actors and went out and shot this film called Chasing Lines, which is, and then we went to about 23 festivals around the world, won 14 of them. Uh, it's now on Amazon Prime. Right. And we got a deal with Sophie TV. So it's on like 18 million Samsung TVs. And it was all shot in, on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And that was the second bit, right? And so the second bit, Chasing Lines was about understanding that journey. Mm-hmm. And then four years from now, I'm going to make 
beyond lines and then presented as 16 minutes of film over mm-hmm. 16 years. Love but it. you can understand that journey was about that intention. I didn't set out to, oh, I'm going to go do something to win awards or make money or whatever. Mm-hmm. The idea was I'm going to go chase this intention of why do we do what we do on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to dig to understand. So funny enough, that kind of journey led me on that path. How I can work it out is because I had a rule that I stuck to myself for 15, you know, 13 years now. Mm-hmm. One for love, one for money. Right. That's a so good rule. You gotta yeah. Do, yeah, you got to do one for love, one for money. Mm-hmm. And at that point, now you'll understand why I told you everything that I told you. 10 years into doing what you're doing, when you have to ask yourself how much you love what you really, really do, mm-hmm. is when someone tells you you have to step five positions back 10 years ago mm-hmm. just to prove yourself all over again. Right. And at that point, 90% of the people have an ego to go, oh, but I've already paid my dues. Why should I go back? Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't. That's the difference. I genuinely don't care about titles or de- you know, designations. Mm-hmm. It's because when you can add creative value to something, a title cannot hold that back. An idea is an idea. Implementation of that idea is working that idea out, right? But it really doesn't matter to me of what that title is. This so is usually, irreverence I let or... my crew choose, right? I just let them choose. Love it. Bunch of things there, man. I mean, what a way to start this off. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these messages to continue my conversation with Uzair Merchant. And we're back. This is Storytellers and Storytellers with me, Vineet Kanabar. I'm talking to Uzair Merchant about making the world's first NFT music video and much, much more. Very interesting conversation. I love the fact that till you figured out what you wanted to do with all your influences and all the stuff that you've been exposed to, you threw yourself in, in many things. You you explored things from the inside out, learning how to do them, whether it's the art, the architecture, the music, uh, the DJ, uh, the coding, the technology, so much more, right? But then when you found what it was that that seemed like the it thing at that moment, you, you went ahead and then you studied it and you learned about it. And then, then took the next logical step, which was applying all of this learning, all of these influences into putting out something in your creative voice, right? And giving yourself a very interesting, very challenging sort of starting point with, with the Lions trilogy. There's so much to unpack there. And you, when you say it, it sounds so simple because obviously hindsight is 2020. And I'm sure there were difficult moments and there were difficult decisions and sacrifices and all of that, right? But I think the fact that you're able to look back at your creative work for the last 15, 13, 15 years and draw this sort of clear line necessitates the presence of clarity. And, and I think that's really important. And, and something that I've seen come through with a lot of people who are very driven by a higher output, right? May not be driven by money or may not be driven by fame, so to speak, right? But driven by a sense of achievement that has a higher degree to it. Right? And it's very interesting for me as, as a podcast host as well to sort of see these similarities in people. It's almost interdimensional if you really think about it. Right? Like I had one conversation in another timeline somewhere where someone said something that seems very very, very similar, right? For example, I was talking to the guys who, who run global esports. There's two guys who run, a, run an esports team in India, and they sounded exactly like you, right? Self assured. They knew what they were doing. They started very early as well, knew what they were doing. And 
sort of can draw a straight line to where they are today, starting with certain instances in or moments in their life. Let me ask you this. I think we've, we've given our listeners a great sense of how you think and and what what's important to you. Rarely ever do we start a podcast conversation saying we are spiritual beings having human human experiences and that will stay with me. Tell us about Black Rose. I know, I mean, I was reading the press kit and, and the stuff that's been written about it. It's won awards for screenplay. It's won awards now for the production itself. I'm pretty sure the music is doing doing phenomenally for the TV show as well. And now you've got this NFT music video, which we will talk about in a second. But tell us about Black Rose. It's a deeply personal story from what I gather. It's something that seems to be catharsis of a lot of stuff that you've put out on screen. Tell us about Black Rose. Yeah, man, thanks. Yeah, Black Rose is close to my heart for uh, more than many reasons. You know, like I said, again, it's about, I take it back to the mind, mindset of, you know, being a martial artist, right? When you go through adversity, you have two options. Usually you acknowledge adversity or you understand that it's time to grow. Most people never look at it's time to grow for adversity because at that point they're too lost in it. Black Rose is the byproduct of all of that. So 2019, 2020 was probably the hardest years of, you know, of, of my entire life. Went through insane things through my personal life. And, you know, speaking of my, my father, he went through a cardiac arrest that left him in a, in a condition of uh, completely immobile. So he was about, you know, 85% with brain damage, couldn't talk, couldn't speak, couldn't move. And uh, there I was in the middle of a job in Saudi Arabia, I got the call with the government, took a flight and instantly everything changed overnight. So four months in, I'm now flying him from stretcher uh, from Dubai to India. And, you know, sitting on this flight going, I have no idea where this, this is going to take me. But usually through my entire life, when I've had to deal with adversity, it comes out through art. Usually in my younger days, it was really dark art which was, you know, I used to paint or, you know, do stuff, which was very in, in, in a dark sense. And then went into writing with poetry and stuff like that, uh, which was also in that sense. So I remember sitting on the flight and, you know, I'm looking at my dad on the stretcher with a the doctor there. And I'm just like, I, I whipped my phone out and, you know, I just wrote a couple of things. And um, it was just lines that I was writing. Mm-hmm. That's it. Next thing I'm sitting down in India, the lockdown hits in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take that and start creating because, hey, my dad was the reason I started watching films in the first place because he was a crazy Hollywood fan. Crazy, 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 right? So even though he couldn't hear me, I would sit down there in hospital every day and just start writing and talk to him. I know I can't get an answer out, but I would just talk to him and, and, and start, you know, started writing. And what I did is, it's funny, but I went back literally into a university mindset and I said, okay, I'm going to write a course of how to write a TV show. So I wrote a course of how to write a TV show, took my own course mm-hmm. and wrote my TV show, Black Rose, and then sat in, in lockdown for eight weeks and designed the entire thing, 35 pages mm-hmm. um, with the entire production design, top to bottom, did the entire Bible out. And I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's see how it goes. And I put it out to a couple of festivals and I'm like, oh, okay. We won a couple of awards there. I'm like, okay, cool. 
at that point, I'm still not back in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is going to pick up. So one of the producers that we work with, her name's Maxine, and um, her and I spoke. So she was on Fast and Furious and, you know, she did Kung Fu Yoga and mm-hmm. uh, she was on Misfits as well. She's a good friend, old mentor. And so she's like, Uzi, this is really, really cool. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. So I come back to Vancouver and I went through a pretty crazy time, went through a divorce and all of that stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. And then there I was sitting down going, I don't know when I'm going to see my dad next. And I was going through a phase of being able to talk to him every day while writing, but I'm not getting an answer. So I'm like, okay, I need to find another way. So I started going to deep, deep, deep meditation and found a way to somehow kind of communicate with him in my own way. At that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to document that process. Mm -hmm. What is it to be like trapped between two sides? There comes Stardust, the song. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out and make a song for Black Rose. And it's going to be our official soundtrack, but we're going to do it differently. I'm going to go take something that exists right now with my story and bring it into my creative. Right. So I wrote a story that, so that's what the music video is about. It's basically a love story. But the love story of the music video is about how someone passes away, but Mm -hmm. kind of comes back in a way to alter this person's life in some right, way, which right. is kind of what I saw my mom almost longing in some way, right? And so I'm looking at that going, well, I, I see what is needed, but I don't know if it's going to happen. So I'm going to go make it happen in my own way. Right. Right. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to name this? And, um, you know, so I read the Quran a lot because I've been writing this book where I went through research of reading the Bible. I read the Bhagavad Gita. I read the Torah, the Tao Te Ching, and started breaking down these religious books for a book that I'm writing for the last couple of years called Are We Living in God's Head? It's breaking down the science of consciousness Mm -hmm. to understand what kind of former entity exists that we're part of that we think that we're so great, but actually we're nothing but a grain of sand. So Mm -hmm. I've been exploring that. And so one of these things I'm reading and come across this line saying, you know, from dust we come and to dust we go. And so I started researching that and found there is actually, you know, Carl Sagan and all these guys talking about this, referencing to this. And I'm like, well, this just makes it right. Now, as Mm -hmm. I'm doing that, my dad passed away in production while we're doing that song. And so there we're sitting with these three artists, Arrow, uh, who's from Vancouver, and also one of our producers on the song, and uh, Sean and Kelowna, and myself. And at that point, I'm like, the song's missing soul. We don't have soul in it. And now the soul's gone, right? And so I'm like, the soul's gone. So I got to, you know, so I, you know, reach out to this old friend, his name is Salem in, in Dubai. And he's one of the first Emirati Arab hip hop artists, right? right? And so I reach out to him. I'm like, hey, bro, listen, I'm doing this. This is the exact experience I've gone through. And this is what I'm writing about. And I'm trying to do this. And I'm shooting this all on an iPhone. You know, I think this is going to be pretty cool. And he goes, yeah, I'm in. And so he writes me these insanely awesome lines. I give him like a little breakdown of, okay, this is what I want you to go for. And then he writes these five lines that literally talk about the soul in in Arabic. And uh, it's really beautiful. And that's what kind of tied it in. And right after that, I was on on, on the TV show, Superman and Lewis. I did 15 Mm -hmm. months of the, the last two seasons. And so one of the directors, James Bamford, him and I started talking and instantly we clicked. It's almost like I know him from another time. It's crazy because I told my friend before joining the show, I think I'm going to find the director for my show on, on this show. I have no idea why. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and then James came on board and one thing led to another. And, you know, we went out, produced Stardust in two countries between Dubai and Vancouver in the pandemic 
on the iPhone mm-hmm. and uh, we processed the entire thing. And here we are just coming out with it. How did it get to NFT? Right after we produced it, I'm sitting down going, I'm going to convert this into this, this model. But I have no idea how. Mm-hmm. I'm still playing with the idea. And I'm at the gym talking to a gentleman who's standing in front of me who I've just met in the sauna. His name's Jeff Lau. It's, he's funny because he's the producer for Kung Fu Hustle. You know the film Kung Fu Hustle, right? Right. right? And I had no idea. And we're talking in the sauna. And he's like, you remind me of me when you were young. And I'm like, oh, really? And he starts talking. And we're in the sauna. And I'm like, here he is. And he's like, yeah, I'm retired. And I'm like, really? I don't think you're retired. Can I tell you something? You're not retired. And he's like, I just told my wife that. And this is another person hearing me talk about what I'm doing. Right. And he goes, hey, did you say you're doing like film? with like NFT stuff. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, we're, we're actually looking to uh, partner up with some filmmakers uh, we should meet. And so his name's, his name's DH, DH Kim, and his company's called Finhaven. And yeah. we met and we spoke for six hours and we met a couple of days back to back. And then yeah. it was just instant. Next thing you know, a couple of weeks later, he goes, hey, I'm doing a private equity investment forum in Vancouver. Would you like to present your mm-hmm. entire thing? And I'm like, well, I've been waiting for 13 years. Yeah. Hell yeah. So we put together a presentation, me and Bam sat for nights and nights. And we did this presentation. The feedback was really, really awesome. And, uh, you know, I went and gave my notice on Superman. And I was like, hey, guys, okay, sorry. I've been here a couple of seasons, but, uh, you know, my rule, one for love, one for money. So I did what I had to hear. It's time to go and do, do this. So here we are in that midst of that process of trying to do Love something it. that's never been done before. Love it. Now, the two things that I want to pick at about the song and, and the music video. First of all, it's... With Finhaven, it's a it's an NFT that's now also a security, right? It's it's a bit more complex than it already was. How did you get your head around that, man? I had to take it's like doing taking a degree in over a weekend. That's literally what I had to do. I was sitting down right. studying stuff over a weekend. So right. NFTs in some in in basic terms actually very simple, right? I explain it to people in like, hey, you walk in through an aisle of cereal at a supermarket. Think of each cereal box as a different product, right? Each one has a separate barcode. That barcode is a smart contract. Without that barcode, the product doesn't exist. That's makes it an NFT. It's a non-fungible token. You can exchange churros for Rice Krispies. Awesome. The securities part is where DH and, you know, is his mind where he does his magic. So mm-hmm. he has a long background with mining and, you know, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so he goes to me, Uzi, let's, um, let's, I, I was building this universe, like I said, from university. Mm-hmm. but I just never knew we could put it this way. So when I explained to him, hey, I've been building this universe with multiple films that I've written, designed, they all connect in a game. Each character can now be a commodity that then gets translated, this, 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 because what you're describing is a security, right? That's right. how you're going to raise money. And I'm like, I don't know, is it? And he goes, yeah, it is. No, 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 that's what it is. And then he goes out to explain to me. So in the sense, it's very simple. What we're doing is this is going to be put up as an NFT, the whole music video. Mm-hmm. The hash of it is going to be put into a cold wallet. It's going to sit mm-hmm. in the bank. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to sell it to an investor and, or multiple investors. Basically, they become one of our exec producers by owning right. a song. Right. right now we're going to do eight songs in the album. Each one going to be a different collaboration with a different language artist. Mm-hmm. Right. And with each sale, the way we've set it up, and this is the beauty of the sale, the entire crew has a piece of the entire sale, Right, every single person in it. Plus it's resellable by the owner. So they get money. So does the crew. Mm-hmm. But the part, there's two parts that go a certain percent that's allocated to a charity fund with every song. And then a certain percent that goes to another artist to go and make their music. 
Right. So we're going to hold out a competition going, hey, here's $10,000. Who wants to go make your next music video? And they, when we give them that, the only caveat that we have on that is we're not going to take any rights or anything. Mm-hmm. We're helping you make your stuff. Mm-hmm. The only thing we're going to say is when we, when we help sell your stuff, you have to take the same percent out and give it to another artist. Love it, man. And so that's why the NFT with the security side, because as investors, you know what you're getting into. It feeds into the bigger universe of Black Rose, which is the multiple characters that we're already in pre-production for. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of all of this is we're, all of this fits together on one platform that we're launching soon called Metaism, which is our NFT marketplace. So okay. it's an invite-only NFT marketplace, both sides, users and artists. It's very cool, man. And is it the first time that you're dealing with NFTs or have you had previous experience working on, on stuff like that? Uh, with my personal NFTs, this is the first time that I'm doing stuff. I've helped right. other people work on their stuff and design stuff for them. But again, because I, I told you, it was it's all about timing, right? right? Timing is everything. And so I knew when the time is right, it will happen in when it's due. Love it. Sort of round this off. Let me ask you about, about NFTs, man, and how they feature in the calculus of someone who's an artist or, or someone who's putting out creative material. I know there's everything under the sun that's been already written and said about them. But what I want to ask you is, from a very personal artist's perspective, for someone who's creating art in the 21st century now, in 2022, should they automatically be looking at NFTs as a way to monetize, a way to store their creativity in the long term, to collaborate? Should NFTs start becoming more central to how artists consider putting their material out? 100%. 100%. As I've been talking about this for 13 years, bro. And I'll tell you why. And, you, and you'll understand. I'll explain it to you very simply, right? The model that we're creating is the beauty of NFTs is not NFTs. It's the application of NFTs. The right. problem is not to understand NFTs because like, oh yeah, make it an NFT. Sure. You can turn something an NFT, but it can be sitting there, right? Application mm-hmm. of it. Why is it so important in the way you use it? Now, do we already use it in a way? Yeah, we do. Look at Shutterstock. Look at any of the website that you buy things from, right? It's basically copyright stuff going up. Now, usually when you click it, there's an option that says you're clicking certain rights to use this and you're buying rights to do this. So in the process of what we've been doing, this is not new. This -hmm. entire process is old. Mm -hmm. Why is it important? The application of artists and what is possible next. And that's what we're doing with this platform. I'll tell you how. Imagine you're watching a James Bond film. Mm-hmm. Right now, the next phase of filmmaking is interactive filmmaking. So with Black Rose, by the way, we're, we're going to make it interactive. So users will be able to choose certain endings and, right. you know, which will convert into the game. Now, imagine you're using that. And we have put out while shooting a memo saying, hey, artists, submit your stuff. Right. And you can get featured in the next James Bond film, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And we put a bunch of stuff. Now you're watching this James Bond scene. You're in the car with James Bond. You pause. You have two options. Open the door or pull the handbrake. Right there, he's wearing a watch. It's a really nice hoopla. You can buy it for $100,000. And mm-hmm. in the back, there's a painting that you can also buy because it's an NFT. Mm-hmm. That painting happens to be a kid from Syria. Now, that painting just became worth $10 million because it's, why? Right next to James Bond. Overnight, you can break that boundary. Can you imagine how many generations it would take for a family like that to even see light of day, to fund like that? How many people in between, just because they don't have a degree or a lawyer, would eat money before they even saw light of day of that? Mm-hmm. Instant, overnight, change. The beauty of the artist is put out art, and if someone likes it, they're going to buy it. 
And and that way you're you're, you're protected, right? As an artist, because everything that you make, you can not only protect yourself, but now collaborate with someone. Vinny, tomorrow you make a painting and I like it. And I'm like, hey, I want to, I want to add something on this. I have a really cool idea. Instead Mm -hmm. of stealing it, I'm going to buy it from you. Or I reach out to you saying, hey, we can collaborate on this NFT. That way you're safe. We never met, but there's a smart contract protecting both of us that both of us are getting payments out of. It's, I think it's something that, you know, every university should adopt to teach students, protect yourselves, because otherwise no one's going to teach you how to. Absolutely. Words to live by for, for art schools all over, man. I think better understood this technology is the bigger the scope for your artwork, I think, in, in the current world. And, and especially with, with technologies like the metaverse coming through, with, with more digital calling physical, it's going to be the way that, that art gets consumed and art gets applied and artists can collaborate. I think, I think you're spot on about, about how you described that. Let me ask you this as we round this off. Where does Black Rose come out? When does it come out? Where can people watch it? What's, what's that look so like? So for now, Black Rose is available on Amazon. Uh, we released it as a graphic novel mm-hmm. uh, initially. So it's available to buy the book. And what we're doing is we're in pre-production right now, hoping to get it going this year. And because we're trying to come up with a very different, unique production. So you'll be able to experience this universe pretty soon, starting with uh, Stardust. And uh, actually, we're going to be going to the studios next week to work on the, the next track. So that's going to be back back up and running soon so yeah black rose is in the making right now with pre-production and we're getting what we're doing is we're creating assets for the game and the film at the same time in a very unique way because i'm nfting the entire model right so yeah sounds very exciting and i'm looking forward to when it comes out in the meanwhile if you want to check out black rose it's available on amazon like as i mentioned get the graphic novel and wait with bated breath for the rest of the universe to come through so thank you so thank much you, for for spending time with me talking about um, about how you do what you do super exciting all the stuff and i really really love the approach that you bring to the stuff that you're doing i wish you all the best with thank with you stardust with black rose and with all the other cool stuff that you're getting up to i hope you had fun man Thank you, man. This was amazing fun. Um, I want to give a shout out to your team for setting this up. To Rani as well. Vinny, thanks for having me. It's a great podcast. I'd love to come by again anytime you guys uh, have me over. And, uh, you know, for people watching, listening, if anyone has questions or needs help as artists, the Creative Lab, my company was set up for that. Uh, we try to help artists publish their stuff. If you've written something, we publish it for you. We don't take rights. It's to help put your stuff out there. So check out the song Stardust and Thank you for having me, guys. This has been very exciting. And you can reach Uzair, whether you want to check out his work or you need help as an artist, you can reach Uzair at Uzair Merchant on Instagram. That's right. I think that's the one. Instagram, all social media, Uzair Merchant. You'll be able to find me. Yeah, reach out and, you know, always happy to help collaborate with artists. Love it. And if you like this episode or you like me and my show, tell me about it on social media. I'm at Ascharya Fuck It. It's a mouthful, but it's it's a fun word. Or you can write in at IVM Podcast on any of your social platforms, any social platform of your choice. That's it from Uzair and I on this episode of Storytellers and Storytellers. I hope you had fun listening. As much fun as we had putting this together. That's it. This is Vineet Kanabar saying goodbye. Bye.